Hey, you've tuned in to I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson on Market Scale Radio. Happy to have you with me today, and we've got a really great show. Uh, good friend of mine, Dr. David Toledo from California Baptist University, is going to talk to us about how COVID has affected higher education uh, and his university in, uh, specifically. Uh, it's going to be a, a really interesting conversation, I believe. He comes at it from uh, a music perspective. He is a professor uh, and director of the worship music uh, program there at California Baptist. So when we get back, uh, David Toledo uh, and how COVID is, has affected higher ed. And we're back with I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson. And I have another great guest tonight, a very longtime friend of mine, Dr. David Toledo from California Baptist University. David, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Kevin. It's good to hear from you. It's good to catch up with you. It's been a long time, my friend. It has been way too long. You know, you up and and left and uh, left Texas and, and went out to California. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing there at Cal Baptist and tell us a little bit about Cal Baptist University because I, I think most of my listeners may not even be familiar with it. Absolutely. Happy to do it. So California Baptist University is a Southern Baptist University in Southern California in the Riverside uh, County, River, the city of Riverside. Um, and this is the eastern part of the Los Angeles Metroplex area. I guess they don't call it the Metroplex. That's my my DFW <laughs> hanging on there. Um, yeah, there you go. A, it's a school that's a liberal arts university that has on, undergone a dramatic transformation in the past, I would say, about 15 years. Um, the university has been around for about 50 years. Um, and for the first, I don't know, 25 to 30 of those years, it was right at under 1,000 students. Our president, who came 25 years ago, um, notes often that there was like 867 students when he started. Well, this fall, we almost broke 12,000 students. So we have grown, grown rapidly. And actually, in the last, I would say, 10 years, the growth has been incredible. Um, I am the director of worship studies in the School of Music at California Baptist University. So the School of Music has about 250 majors in it. Um, this is undergrad and graduate majors in all kinds of disciplines from vocal performance to music education to my discipline, worship studies, and then a rapidly growing field of commercial music. So we are located in the portion of California, Southern California, called the Inland Empire. And if you were to look at a map and you were to find like San Bernardino, and that area, or Ontario Airport, that's an air, airport that most people are familiar. If you go, if you go to Ontario East towards Palm Springs, that is the Inland Empire, and um, it's a huge population um, center. Uh, I read somewhere recently that if that was a, its own state, it would be like the twenty-third most populous state in the country. It's this this one little area. It's not in Los Angeles. It's in Riverside County, um, Riverside and San Bernardino County. Um, and it's um, it's more deserty. Um, if you've been to El Paso, it feels a little bit like El Paso. Um, I, I lived there when I was a little kid, so uh, you know that, it brings back memories to that. But um, anyway, CBU is a um, like I said, it's a rapidly growing university that has um, you know engineering and nursing and aviation and all kinds of things. And what what's really fascinating from my perspective is it's a university that has kept its Baptist heritage. It's unapologetically Christian in a Southern California region. But even more than that, because I'm not sure where your listeners are and all that, and that's fine. But it's what what's interesting to me is you have a president and a provost who are very business-minded and very entrepreneurial. 
And they have the the tagline for the university is live your purpose, right? So that's everywhere. And it, it's it's integrated into the curriculum up and down and throughout the schools. But one of the ways that's really, really been manifested in the mission of CBU is that we are plugged in to the Inland Empire community. And it's largely um, multiracial. Um, so our university is about, uh, right now, we're, we're tracking right at like 33.5% um, Anglo, 33.3% Hispanic, and then lots of other things. So we're a very mixed campus, um, but it's a private liberal arts college, a Christian college. Um, but we are investing in programs and new programs that will connect with the needs and the ministries and the, the, the kind of the dynamics of our community. So nursing, social work, um, even ministry. These are things that are needed in the Inland Empire area. So CBU is fit, filling that need. So nursing is a huge program in our school. There's probably a thousand nursing students out of the almost 12,000. And then the social work has another eight or 900. So you're, uh, those numbers may be off, but lots. So these are, these are in your healthcare world, these kinds of things that are trying to meet the needs of this, this area. That's, frankly, it's probably on the, the lower middle class to lower class socioeconomic area. So CBU is trying to fit that need and meet um, the people where they are in this area. See, that's fascinating. Yeah, you, you you hit on my next question is what do you attribute your growth to? And it's obviously, you know, you, you're, you, you see the needs of your community and you're meeting them. And so many universities just don't do that. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sure that's, yeah, you know, that that's been very rewarding. While at the same time, you're you're keeping your Christian heritage too. So that's got to be just a a great professional uh, uh, accomplishment for you too. So, Absolutely. You know what I got to ask? What drew you to to the opportunity in California? Yeah. So like like all of us, I don't think I'd ever heard of California Baptist University. Um, you know, uh, I um a couple of years ago, um, I met. This this guy, um, he, I was at the Texas Music Educators Association conference in San Antonio, um, kind of exhibiting for my old my old institution. And this this young guy, a young guy is just a little bit younger than me, but my age basically, a toddler was yeah. working. Okay, yeah, well, I mean, compared to you, old man. But anyway, oh, thanks, um, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, he was working the booth for the University of Texas um, in Austin, and he was the assistant core director there and we we caught up we struck up a conversation and he was a worship pastor in the austin area and um you know just didn't think anything of it again and then um fast forward a couple years later and there was an opportunity um an opening at california baptist university and i started looking into it and they've got a rich choral heritage and music making and things that really kind of connected with me and then that guy who i'd met in in san antonio years ago was now the dean of the school and um, we connected, and honestly, I'm here because of him, man. He is a dynamic leader, and he is a um, person that's got a vision and can rally the troops and inspire the students. And um, you know, our mission in the School of Music is to be a top tier university um, school of music that holds its Christian roots and can prepare people for um, careers in a variety of musical professions. But we're holding these high standards while still being um, who we are as a, as a faith-based institution. And then as I've, as I've gone deeper into, in the process of just kind of going, all right, let's see what this place is about. The history and the growth has been driven by, by decision makers who are making decisions based on data. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's run incredibly wisely. 
And, um, you know, I know we're going to get into this way, but my confidence in this current era and where we are right now with COVID-19, um, I have a high confidence in what we're doing here at CBU because of the the proven leadership we have on the top. And, um, you know, the decisions here are made by, is there a need? Can students find jobs when they get out of here? And, um, you know, do we do we have growth? And we're numbers oriented. And it's not, the, not a business side of it, but we don't let pet projects just kind of marinate for years. It's like, if this isn't working, let's do something else. And it's very, you know, and a lot of institutional higher education students have baggage and have these programs that, you know, kind of on life support for years and years and years. Here at CBU, we're, we're lean and we're mean, and we just you know we're we're doing we're doing what we can, and um, we we're not we're not hesitant to make changes. And when something is um, is is, well, I can give you a, a, a insight on this. So our commercial music side, we just launched this program two years ago, and we're already looking at having nearly 100 students in it in about a year and a half. Um, going from zero to 100. That's just the commercial music side of the wing. And just there's a, we're in Los Angeles, we have a board of um, advisors, guys that played, you know, best drummers in the world, guys that played guitar on the Thriller album. I mean, just name it. These guys are all record and commercial music uh, in players and professional musicians who are advisory board, and they're just pushing students our way. The, the institution saw it and said, hey, you guys have a need. Here's X amount of dollars. Um, of course, this was like two weeks before COVID hit. So um, in our budget cuts, are like, yeah, you know that money we we're going to give you for a building? We're going to hold on to that for a while. <laughs> but the, <laughs> the point was we were able to demonstrate a need, say, look, here's the growth where, where it's coming. And the institution said, fantastic, we're going to invest in it. And it took about a month and a half, and that was it. Now, of course, things change. But again, what attracts me is it there's a we're an institution that has a purpose that has a mission and has the right people in the right place to accomplish that and it's so where i am in my role as the director of worship studies i oversee the undergrad and graduate programs and we're just we're just geared for growth here and southern california doesn't have a lot of full-time men and women in these roles but churches are expanding and they need training and we're, we're we're meeting a need for our students who are our first customers if you will but then we're also community focused and providing resources and training and other opportunities for that so it's just a, I look here at CBU and it's just nothing but opportunity and that was really that was really that it, is for just us. And it was it was a big big change for us yeah. hard to leave leave Texas um, I lived there for 20 years my wife had lived there her whole life it was home, but you know what? We trusted God's leadership, and we're here. And uh, you know, and then now we're in the crisis that we're in, and it, who knows what's going on? <laughs> yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, it sounds like obviously, you know, you're pretty proud of your leadership. They're very data driven, but this is something that none of us have ever seen. I mean, I've been in healthcare for thirty years, and nothing even close to this. I mean, this is nothing like 9-11 or a hurricane or, or something like that, where it's a finite period of time because we just don't know when this is over. And across the country, it might be over sooner than later in, in many parts of, of America. But but talk to me a little bit about the process. You know, when when did your, you know, you and your leadership see, okay, COVID's going to be a real issue for us. And then kind of walk me through the process of, okay, going from, you know, the typical higher education environment with, with you know, the majority of your students coming to a physical class. Now, I'm sure you're in the midst of online learning and talk a little bit about that. Were you prepared to go to online learning? So that's actually two questions. 
<laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Those are good. Those are good questions. So how we start, how we saw it coming, I guess that would be the best, best way to start this answer. Um, actually in the music school, we saw it coming early um, because like many music schools in the country, we have lots of international students and we have a healthy relationship with um, schools and places that would send students to us from China. So starting in January, we started going, Hey, this is serious. And, you know, we, one of our, our orchestra um, conductor had a trip to China that was planned to recruit. It was like, yeah, that's not happening now. So like, okay, <laughs> I'm sure not. This, this is, this is like January, right? Okay. So we're like, okay, um, let's keep an eye on this. And I would say what, when mid February, um, right at the beginning of March, it, you know, the cases started mounting and we're like, okay, we need to start paying attention to this. And um, the, the university started on the very highest levels, started rolling out some contingency plans. And, um, you know, um, we started get some of that word started trickling down to the people in the administration. I'm in the administration leadership of our school of music. So I got some word of this a little early and we started making plans. And, um, so one of, one of the, to answer your second question, CBU has an online and professional school. Um, we call it ops. So there's about 3000 students that are online. Now, a lot of these students are undergraduate students who are just taking online class or two while they're, while they're traditional students. Then there are full-blown degrees that are offered online. Um, in the School of Music, one of the things that I was brought in to do, and I started this last fall when I came in, was we launched a Master of Arts in Worship um, Arts that was a hybrid program that's um, mixing online synchronous and asynchronous and then residential um, learning in summer residencies. So we had already launched this in the School of Music. We were already doing this and exploring ways to to expand that that type of delivery mechanism, if you will, into other areas in the School of Music. Um, so when the word came down that we were transitioning to remote delivery, um, that's the word we use because online instruction means something different in higher education, but remote delivery, um, we had a lot of tools already in place the university got a lot of infrastructure backbone there, and um, I was tasked with one of our other one of our associate deans is to get our sixty some odd um, adjunct and full time music faculty ready to go in two weeks of spring break. And so we did a lot of training videos and a lot of one on one coaching sessions. And you know, music's got interesting things versus you know a history class. Lecture based classes are kind of easy to transition online. You just need a microphone and a camera. Yeah, that was that was what I wanted to hear hear about is you know the challenges of trying to to uh, deliver a, a curriculum in music. Well, you know, it, even beyond before we even get to the the the, the realities of trying to deliver music education. You know, we expanded our spring break into two weeks. Um, our students about half, I don't know, right before spring break started, they were like, you're going to go on spring break for two weeks. And then and then halfway through that, they're like, oh, guess what? You're not coming back at all now. <laughs> and you have to move out of the dorms. So, you know, things change very rapidly. And we have so many students involved we, between our majors and minors and the other, other students. We have about 400 students involved in ensembles and things in the School of Music. And our first concern was their health and safety. So we, you know, we, we tasked our teachers and divided up groups of students by areas and said, you need to check on these students and you need to make sure their physical well-being, 
their their emotional well-being. Um, so far, as of today, we don't have any students in our school of music, and none in the university that I know of that have, that have contracted COVID-19. But we have family members of, of students that have, and you know, so we we we're, we're shifting into you know, there's the content that we have to deliver, but more importantly, we're shaping these people, and we're investing in these students. So that we kind of healthcare workers by any stretch of the imagination, but our first concern has to be our students. And then the content is second. Um, you know, so we, um, after two weeks of spring break, we launch up and, you know, press, press play, if you will, on the, the classrooms. And we have private music lessons happening and, you know, some things just couldn't happen like, um, you know, ensemble rehearsals, choir rehearsals, orchestra rehearsals. I was going to say, couldn't you do that by via Zoom? I keep seeing all these Zoom choirs on Facebook. You know, I figured y'all would have already done that. Yeah. <laughs> for your for your listeners, for your listeners uh, behind the scenes, there's so much of that that's produced. And um, I'm sure, you, you know, not auto-tuned isn't the right word, but um, you're not hearing what was coming through that speaker. Yeah, I bet. Um, I bet not. Yeah. You know, um, it it was different for us because we're really only looking to have to do this for four weeks this semester to finish this semester. We had satisfied the requirements of our creditors for hours of instruction and things like that for our ensemble. So we made the choice to go ensembles. You're done now instructors. If you want to do enrichment things with them, you're fine, but you've, you have done enough in classroom instruction for that. Now things like private lessons, we're doing them by FaceTime or by WebEx or some, some teachers by zoom. And, um, We've got teachers who've done that. This is a growing field in music education, so it's not like it's brand new. But for a lot of our teachers, it was brand new. So how do we do this? And we spent those whole two weeks of, of spring break with demo sessions with teachers. And I don't know how many teachers I sat on the other line on my computer. And go, All right, do this. Put your microphone here. Try this. Um, but the reality is there's challenges, and it's not perfect. Um, you know what I've told a lot of our a lot of our faculty, and this is. This is what higher ed's going to face. There's a big difference between finishing out a spring semester of four weeks. If this thing lingers into the fall, that's a whole different ball game, right? You know, so that yeah. Well, yeah. how so? As I've joked with my students, there's going to be tremendous amount of grace at the end of the semester. Like you know, <laughs> again for your listeners' pleasure. I mean, you talk about great inflation. Just watch the GPAs this semester, right? Okay. Oh, I'm sure. You know, yeah. You know, but we're all just going. This is crisis, and we're going to survive, right? And we talk about how do you re-envision the content that you have in this delivery mechanism for four weeks. Well, if you go into a whole semester going, all right, this is what we're doing this entire semester, you change the entire approach, right? Yeah, so I'm sure. the, real, the reality is um, we consume media in smaller segments and smaller bites. And what works in a classroom, what honestly doesn't work well in a classroom, but that's how so many people teach anyway the way you teach in person has to change. Um, you can't just put a camera on your computer and go, I'm going to teach the same way. It doesn't work that way. So it's, you have to move into um, this, this comfort level of asynchronous where I'm going to put something out there. You're going to comment, you're going to do something and back and forth. As I can remember that actually increases the load on me a lot. It's easy to walk into a classroom and just talk for 50 minutes. Oh, I'm sure it um, does. It's quite another yeah. thing to go. All right, I've got to listen to these 30 comments on this voice thread thing where, the, you know, and, and how do I evaluate those things? But again, that's good. I, I think in, in some ways, our faculty have been invigorated by newness and forced to do it. Um, you know, that's the positive side, the negative side. I mean, who knows what's going to happen, Kevin? You know, I mean, it's, it's just, I just, you, 
your your alma mater just announced like an eighty million dollar budget cut today. You know, so I mean, yeah, I was reading all about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing too that I was going to mention, and and I'm glad you that you kind of brought it up about you know what's going to happen in the fall. We don't know, but I did see today where Boston University is already floating that that there's a possibility that the fall semester may not take place. That their fall might become you know January of 2021. Well, you know, there, there's there's so many factors in it, and you know, a college environment is the opposite of social distance, right? Okay. Oh, you, exactly. You, you yeah. put them in dorms or apartments, and then you put them in a lecture hall, or even just, you know, let's put eighty people in a choir room where you're coughing and spitting next to each other, right? You know, what I mean, it's just you can't do that if this if this virus is still spreading the way it is. Now, fortunately, in California, it seems like we're turning the turning the corner a little bit. But in Riverside County, where we are, we haven't yet. So we you know we still have to be careful. We're under we're under a mandate to stay at home. We've been that California was the first state in the country to do it. We've been this way now for for four weeks already. Um, you're adapting again. I don't know what's going to happen in the fall, but you know college life is a different experience, and our student safety and health. Yeah, I, I totally has understand. To be the priority, number one. Um, you know, and then from there, the quality, the quality of the educational experience that we give to them is the second thing. Because the reality is, look, we're a private institution. We're not cheap. Um, you know, you've got to our students, our cu- customers, our consumers, when they're making choices, they're making choices of the experience. I think one of the great challenges of higher higher education has been coming to a bubble for the last decade and a half. And this thing might be what pops the bubble, honestly. Now, as someone who's in the field, that's a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, you know, what's held so many places back is, oh, we can't do online delivery. We can't do this. Well, no, every school in America, basic from kindergarten to higher education has done it in with two weeks notice. So, um, you know, the excuses of you can't do it this way are gone. And, you know, now what, you know, let's just say we let's just say we get past this at some point in the next few months and the fall and even into the recruiting. You know, we're always in the recruiting cycle. You know, a, a parent's going to go, well, my son can daughter can just stay at home and do this. And I'm not going to pay, you know, twenty five, thirty five thousand dollars a year for them to do this over Zoom. Right. You know. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so you're you're having to lean into what the experience of college is and not just not like your experience in college. That's a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Let's that's, not go. That, that's, yeah. It's probably not safe not, for yeah. this conversation, but no social but, distancing. We'll just leave but, uh, it at that. With, yeah. Okay. <laughs> within, within, within music making, music making is a collaborative thing, right? It's not an individualistic experience and there takes a community for that to happen. So we have to, again, once it's safe for students to come back, continue to share that message that this is a place where you're going to hone your skills and develop into the person you're going to be. Because one of the things about a liberal arts university, it's not just vocational training, right? And that's, and if you look at, if you look at college or university or any higher education as a four year um, pathway to a job on the other end, or one, you're going to, you're going to miss out a lot of life-changing experiences in college. But two, you're going to miss the opportunity to to discover who you are, right? So many of us have a small peer circle 
then you go to college and you're exposed to different ideas and those kinds of things. And you don't know who you are, right? You know, many, many years ago, the Christian uh, uh, psychologist and parenting guy, James Dobson, wrote a book. And he talks about the ages from 18 to 24. It's when you make all of your life's biggest decisions when you know the least. Oh, that's exactly <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> you know, who you're going to do. Where those were, those were my idiot years, decisions. I call them. So, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so, so as we, as we try to re-envision what higher education is, we're going to have to make difficult decisions and we're going to have to adapt. But we, again, that gives institutions that are nimble enough and forward thinking enough the opportunity to pivot and really highlight what makes the experience on campus unique. Um, and that's. Yeah. You know, and it's funny that, that you're talking about this is because I, I was talking with somebody uh, today. We were talking about, you know, graduate degrees and, and really what you got out of it. And I said, frankly, I said, you know, after, after I finished my MBA, I said, I had a piece of paper that said I had an MBA. Uh, I said, my real education started on the job. And the other folks in the in the room were nodding their heads, but but you you hit the nail on the head. The the college years, whether it be you know four years or or six years for some of us, uh, that's where you know we really we de- we developed our lifetime network there. We uh, you know my my best friends came from college. We're still close. And and I met my wife in college. Like you said, all these major milestone decisions that you make in your life are compressed into you know four to six years, and and that is to me that's that was the bigger selling point of of going to to Baylor or frankly my friends that, that went to other lesser schools. Uh, that you know that was that was that's the part of their of their college experience that really, frankly, to me, that mattered. You know, let me let me jump in and just kind of give you an example of this um, from our school of music. You know, and you know, there's so many institutions, churches, and organizations, and businesses, and schools that you know have some kind of mission statement or thing you slap on the wall or whatever. Um, but one of the things you, you asked earlier about that's drawn me to CBU and what, why I'm so passionate about it here in the School of Music, we have this right. You know, so it's our mission is to inspire students to the highest standards of musical craft and personal character, preparing them for success in musical professions. That's a pretty that's a, that's a good mission statement. But a lot of schools would have that, right? So we want to be a spiritually vibrant community where students can receive top tier academic, music, professional, and personal preparation for a variety of diverse musical careers. Yeah, that's good. Again, yeah. that's a great vision, but a lot of places would do this. This is where the the secret sauce is, right? Okay, so we talk about the character we teach, and we have a series of about 25 of these, this versus this. So I'll just give you a few of them. Initiative versus procrastination. We want our students to take the first step towards seizing an opportunity or meeting a need without prompting or provocation. Or respect versus disregard. We want them to understand the value and position of those in my life and give honor and significance and submission accordingly. Um, Humility versus arrogance, living with the understanding that my accomplishments and my potential ultimately due to God's gift and others' investments in me. These character development things, these are kind of the, not the soft skills, we might call them that in the business world, but this is your, this is who you are. Forget the job, forget what you do. This is who you, you're becoming. And that doesn't translate as well over the internet. This has to be learned. And we talk about we talk about education and, re, you know, so I'm in the spiritual side of education, right? So I'm in worship training and training ministers. But I really think in my perspective as discipleship, right? So if you think about just that word, a disciple is someone who follows someone else's discipline. So take the spirituality side. If you have a trainer at the gym, 
you follow the discipline of your trainer. And the, the results you get are how well you follow that person's discipline. So in our world in education, the best teachers are those who almost serve as mentors to apprentices to their students. And so much of that learning is caught, not taught, right? And so, so engaging with that. So we, again, for CBU, this is part of our culture. So we have a family environment and we want to do that. But for schools that are really just there and, you know, you know, some, some of your state schools that, you know, you might be in a 500 person biochemistry class. I mean, you're not getting those lessons. You're, 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 even with the best teacher, you can't do it that way. So, you know, higher education is facing some challenges. The reality is we have no idea which of our students are coming back in the fall. Our recruiting cycle is just who knows what's happening with that, right? We don't know who's coming, who's not coming. I mean, we have we have to, you know, communicate with parents and demonstrate the value and at the same time go, look, there's what, 15, 18% unemployment right now as of, as of April, you know, we don't know what the future holds. So we have to make wise decisions. And, um, you know, we're, we're like so many other institutions, we're just kind of in a wait and see, but we're still making plans. Um, you know, I started with my, my team of faculty members to go, let's plan for the fall as if they're not coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get up ahead of that. Right. Well, and if they come back, we yeah, gotta do that if they come yeah. back. But. Well, I know in, in so many industries and, in, that they're seeing this as a time to to really adapt to new ways of doing business. You know, we were talking today at my hospital. Yeah, and I told a couple of my of my direct reports. I said, guys, this is the perfect time to try something because if it fails or if you screw up, we can blame COVID. And <laughs> so, you know, you know, why not? But because I'm and I'm encouraging my folks. Hey, let's take a risk right now. Let's see, you know, let that thing that you wanted to do in your in your department or in your program, this is the time to give it a try because we don't have the large number of patients uh, that we typically do. So you can effectively have like your own little, you know, your own little laboratory to see if this is going to work. And, and so it's it's actually been in a way. This has been really invigorating too, and I don't know. I mean, I, you know, higher education is pretty heavily regulated too. Uh, healthcare is the most regulated industry, but because of the relaxation of a lot of regulations, we're able to be a lot more, you know, nimble, as is the word you used, yeah, to to be able to to really make changes and to make you know, some really effective decisions that are going to improve patient care. And so we're hoping that these temporary regulation uh, uh, relaxation, if you will, uh, we're hoping that some of these are permanent because we've seen great benefit from that. So I'm thinking probably that's going to that's going to translate into a number of different industries and certainly in higher education as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're, you hit the nail right on the head. And the the instant the industries and the institutions and the churches and the businesses that see this um, as an opportunity to re envision what they do with a little bit of good luck yeah well, <laughs> will that's be true. okay on the other that's end true. of that right okay that's very true. you know but if you just put your head in the bunker and go this is who we are we can't we got to protect what we've been well you're that's 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 a that's a path that's going to lead to a dead end and you know. It's um, 
you know, one of the ways I can I can share with you kind of how it's already changing at CBU. So you had our ops. We have our online professional school, and that that has been a silo. Okay, like we have our business school and business faculty there. They have business faculty in the online professional school that are not in the school of business. They're hired by the ops, right? So these are like these are siloed things, and you know, traditional programs could only deliver x amount of hours online before they had to go re-accredit as an online remote i mean it's look you talk about regulations accreditation and higher education is it's one of my responsibilities in the school of music it's just there but you know we're going okay we, we can't think that way there's got to be integrated path so now you know the school of music now we're talking about what does an undergrad degree that's online or hybrid look like um the the, the low-hanging fruit for higher education are master's programs are 30 hours you know, you can knock them out two summers, you know, three semesters of coursework. Um, PhD programs at my previous institution, I taught in a PhD program that was that was a hybrid flexible access. But undergrad programs are really the next thing that are that are really going to find some innovation here. And I think you're going to see a mix of these things. And quite frankly, you know, in my teaching, and I've been teaching online now for years now, so it's not new to me, but um there's a terminology in higher education we call flipping the classroom, which is basically the content you want the student, like think of, think of your history class at college, you know, professor goes on about the, you know, civil war and talks for three weeks about it. Right. And you, you just go to class and you listen, take notes. Okay. Well, we're finding that, you know, students can listen to that content on their own time, pause it, rewind it, listen to it again. And then when they come to class or in my case right now, come to our synchronous meeting, I'm not trying to teach them something new. I'm trying to engage them and help to engage their critical thinking about the content they've already watched offline. And that's really, that, those are some of the opportunities that we're facing. Um, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish about the future of CBU. The reality though is this, our country, our nation is facing for most of us, the most challenging times in our lifetimes. And we have an obligation, one, I think to bring hope and, um, you know, we talked a lot about in our leadership of School of Music, kind of some existential thoughts, right? Where's the place of music in 2020 with COVID-19, right? People can't pay the pay their bills or can't put food on the table. Where does something like music, all right? So we all know the arts already are underfunded nationwide and they're viewed as a luxury. But I think what we're seeing with all of this social distancing is that we crave connection, right? And we crave the interaction that we have and the things that that they're not they're not add-ons to life they really are interwoven into our life and the arts and music are one of those things and then specifically you know my field in the church side of things right we we're we're, we're not meeting because that's the right thing to do and that's my position on that answer that and the question right we we need to we churches need to be wise and not try to beat their beat their people right but we know and we we recognize it. I, I saw it the first time at school when I fired up WebEx for the first time two weeks ago, and all of our students got together and saw each other for the first time in three weeks. It's like, oh, it's so good to see each other. I think everybody's getting tired of being with their family, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, you know. So, um, you know, I, I think we as music have the opportunity to go. We're we're vital. What makes us human is not just what profit we can bring to a business or what thing we can sell. But those memories, those connection points, the things that matter, you, we've all seen those, you know, these things on the news the last couple of weeks of, 
you know, the, the loved ones on the, the outside of the nursing home and the window, you know, waving at grandma in the nursing home because they can't go in or the, or the tragic FaceTime calls with the loved one who's dying of COVID-19, right? We need a connection and music provides an opportunity to do that. So we're, you know, we're doubling down and going, this is important. And each of our schools, each of the disciplines have to think about what the future looks like in a COVID-19 world. In the music area, you know, we're often viewed as a luxury by decision makers and people and even parents as their students, their kids look at possible career vocations. The reality is if this COVID-19 has taught us anything is that we need, we need, we crave human connection. We need each other. We see this from, you know, nursing home visits where family members are waving to the loved ones from across the window or those of us who, you know, we miss our church families and those kinds of things. So music connects us. And that's that's really kind of kind of be the thrust of what we do going forward with this in my discipline specifically. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, some of the things that I'll remember from this whole pandemic, you know, outside of healthcare uh, are the, the images of like the people in Italy uh, stepping out on their balconies just to sing. And uh, the concert that Andrea Bocelli gave uh, a while back uh, from uh, Milan, I believe, it was amazing. And, and I know so many of my friends were talking about that. And, and it was only about 15 minutes, but the uplifting uh, nature that that gave, you know, that gave me and gave to, to, to people that I know was just amazing. And so I totally agree with you. I mean, music is that connection, you know, it, for, for so many people. I know it is for me personally. So, um, Hey, a couple of other questions that I had, you know, you know, while we're wrapping up, you know, Hey, I've known you for a long time and I know you have four kids. How has, how have you <laughs> juggled working from home and, and, uh, being there with your wife and four kids? That's got to be a lot of fun. Um, there's lots of energy, there's lots of things going on. We've homeschooled our kids from the beginning. So not much has changed on the educational side of things. <laughs> you know, we're doing what we're doing anyway. Um, the reality though is we're, you know, you know, we, we can't leave. We can't go to church. We can't do some of the other activities that we do. We're part of a, um, a classical education model where our, our students, our, our kids have gone to school once a week where they've interacted with their schools, other, other students, my wife's doing that. Well, that shifted on and that's been a whole different thing. So, you know, the past three weeks we've had our, our computers set up and my wife teaching, you know, mixed age groups. And of course, this is kind of some dynamics of homeschooling and that's, that's been interesting. But, um, you know, so I've, I've been at home for a lot of the days and, you know, my work schedule has, is, is kind of weird in many of our students, right? It's asynchronous. It's not, I'm not sitting down at my desk working for seven hours. It's two hours here. And then, Hey, I'm going to go teach math to my nine-year-old right now. And, you know, and then a lot of late nights and, you know, like Thursdays, I have, I teach my class asynchronously. So I do that. Now the reality is um, in the state of California, uh, those, those delivering remote education, higher education, are just, they're deemed essential workers. Um, so we've, I've actually go to my office. Um, I office in that ops building, the office, that online professional school building. So it's a three-story building actually off campus. And for the last couple of weeks, I've been one of like two cars in the parking lot. So I'll walk in and go to my office and no one's there. And I'm, I'm social, more socially distanced than, than I am at home. But um, so I do that. But for, for the reality is I've tried to do as much of it as I can at home. Um, and, you know, it works. You know, sometimes, look, the reality is we're all adjusting to this. We all have Zoom meetings where kids kind of roam in the background and whatever. And just lots of grace and lots of, you know, 
but there are times when I go, all right, Lindsay, my wife, I need you to not let the kids interrupt me for right now. And I'm sure we make make it work. But again, a lot of that stuff kind of happens not in real time, but asynchronously. I may reply to an email, (laughs) do things, record lectures late at night. That's what I'm going to do when we get off this, this call here is I'm going to record a lecture because my kids are in bed asleep. You know, it's, it's hard to do those Some of those things. And you, and you have some quiet time. Exactly. Yeah. I got, I got to, I got to share a quick story. I was on a zoom. Well, it wasn't a zoom call. It was just a, a conference call yesterday. And of course it's amazing. We've been doing this now for, you know, three, four, five weeks in some instances, maybe even longer. And so you'd think people would start getting kind of a rhythm in their conference calling and their zoom meetings and everything like that. So but we're still having it. The whoever's leading the meeting at the very beginning says, "Please make sure that you mute your phones." Okay, great. So yesterday, we're on a conference call, and there's probably 75, 80 of us on it. It's a it's a COVID update. I spend a lot of my time on the COVID calls, as you can imagine. And in the background, yeah, we hear a woman obviously feeding her toddler. She goes, "Honey." how's your oatmeal? Have you finished your oatmeal? (laughs) Would you like some more oatmeal? And this is going out the whole time. People are saying, uh, could you mute your phone? And and the, the, the final hilarious comment was, honey, do you have to go to the bathroom now? And so 70 people are listening to this woman parent and we're just all just dying laughing while our phones were muted, of course. But, uh, but anyway, so, but but again, you know, that goes back to the connection point. The reality is that's life. And that's exactly right. This, this has caused all of us to pause a little bit and go, you know what? There are things that are important. And then there are things that are even higher importance than our jobs and other things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I, kind of made a joke about, I'm ready to not spend as much time with family, but I think this, if if this has done anything, it has brought people, it has brought families closer together, uh, hopefully in about 95% of the time. We were laughing earlier today, said there's either, there's going to be a lot of babies and there's probably going to be a lot of divorces because of this, but you know, hopefully more babies, uh, just not in my household. So with that final interesting comment, David Toledo, buddy, it's been a blast talking to you. Well, Kevin, it's been a joy to speak, connect with you and your family and we go way back and you know Kevin's wife and his his two daughters and you know um you know it's again as this time the last month or so has, has caused me to reflect a lot on the relationships I've had and the people and we are people right and we connect with others and I hope on the other side of this that we all do that and I know you're in the healthcare field and obviously you guys are on the front lines of this I can't, you know the pictures we've seen online on Facebook and social media of these nurses just basically going to battle every day and these these healthcare facilities doing that. And, you know, this the human story. And whether we're in higher education or religion or business or whatever, we have to be about people. And I hope we, we regain a little bit of humanity in this um, and realize that, you know, it's not just political left or right or religious, whatever, but it's for people and that we need to connect this way. So that, that's my hopes for this. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing that in my little sphere of influence in my family, my university, in my church, and those kinds of things. But it takes all of us going this way and we're going to make it, you know, by God's grace and you know, by the hard work of lots of medical professionals and scientists we're, and the, the wise use of our brains by those of us who are healthy, um, you know, we're, we're going to do the best we can with this. And we'll get on, you know, we're going to get on the other. This isn't the first time this happened in our world. And we're going to get on the other side of this at some point. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, that's that's a good way to end this segment. David Toledo, thanks so much for joining me on I Don't Care. And we'll talk soon. 
I don't know about you, but I thought that was just really interesting, you know, hearing about, number one, David's passion for California Baptist University uh, and their mission and how they go about uh, in uh, uh, teaching uh, college-age students. Uh, It sounds like that they were pretty well prepared, too, uh, with their uh, online learning, and and he was using a lot of higher ed terms I'm not even going to fake, but... uh, I believe he's totally right. You know, we, uh, I loved how, how he closed things out. We are about connections. And COVID, while it has probably strengthened, I would say, the vast majority of families, um, but we still crave uh, connections with other people too. And so uh, I think we're all just looking forward to the opportunity to, uh, to get together with, with friends and, and family and extended family in the very near future. So in order for that to happen, you've got to do a number of things. You've got to continue to social distance, you know, put your arms out. I heard a great thing uh, the other day. Uh, it's 24 hot dog length. So think about every hot dog is six inches, you, you, you know. Well, maybe not six inches, never mind. But um, anyway, so uh, social distance and make sure that you wash your hands. Don't touch your face. Maybe wear a mask. Definitely wear a mask. Uh, But also continue listening to I Don't Care because we're going to keep bringing you uh, some very interesting uh, perspectives on COVID from a lot of different people in a lot of different industries. So... 9.30 9.30 p.m., uh, 9.30 a.m., I should say, on uh, Friday mornings on marketscale.com. Uh, look for the healthcare uh, icon uh, and go to radio or go to my banner that says, I don't care with Kevin Stevenson. You get to see my mug there on the screen. Uh, if you miss it at 9.30 on Friday morning central, uh, just uh, go to Spotify or iTunes and you can... Uh, subscribe to the podcast as a whole or download individual uh, podcasts. So with that, uh, be, be safe, be healthy, and be back next week with I Don't Care with Kevin Stevenson.